Hello and welcome to Full Send with Christina Kim. And Alan Shipnuck. We are back at it again. Another big week. Uh, Christina was at Lake Merced. Great little golf course uh, around the corner from the Olympic Club. I am more or less en route to Torrey Pines for the U.S. Open. Uh, golf never sleeps. Uh, why don't we? Why don't we start with uh, with with your your week in San Francisco? It's kind of cool to go back to back. I mean, you're you're the venues between the Women's Open and and this week's LPG event were about half a mile apart. How is it being posted up in the city for for a big chunk of time? Oh, it's it's awesome. I uh, let's see what took place this week prior to the golf. Um, Hopped into a new Airbnb because since I uh, booked the first place before I qualified, the last thing I wanted to do was end up spending twice as much money if I ended up not staying uh, or not getting into the U.S. Women's Open. So I had to move to Airbnbs. And truth be told, I'm actually very happy with the, the second Airbnb. I wish I could have booked the same one for two weeks. I'm only a couple miles away from where I was staying during the week of the Olympic Club. Um, and let's see, my caddy Todd and I, we got in a bunch of practice. We, I actually, so after Thursday's round, I took him, we played in the morning. I took him back down to San Jose and Santa Clara. We are huge coffee nuts. And so there's a, there was an article that I'd read that was rating the Bay Area's best coffee roasters. And number one was chromatic coffee in San Jose. So I went uh, I, I, we, we drove down there, hit up the, you know, the, we were on the 101, we hit up the 880, like it was just, uh, we were on the 87, you know, the Guadalupe Parkway. It was, it was so, so amazing to be back. And we had some of maybe, it was probably the best cup of coffee I've ever had made for me outside of what Todd and I can brew. And it was one of those things where I, we had the cup of coffee. I was like, I need to get those beans. Like, this is the most exciting, uh, fascinating, just beautiful cups of coffee because there were these, like, you know, incredible, like, high notes of fruit. And it was, like, low acidity. It was so balanced. It was a bean from Thailand. And we go there, and the girl was like, that last pour-over that I had made for you guys was the last of the beans. And it was one of those things where I was like, oh, my God. And, and you know, again, going back to where I was versus where I'm, you know, um, sort of stepping back into, it was more one of those. And it's, you know, like stupid little cliche of like, don't be sad that it's over. Be glad that it happened kind of things. <laughs> uh, so it was a beautiful lesson in and of itself in that regard. And then I took him over to the golf course I grew up at over at Santa Clara. Yeah, that golf was going to be my question. Did you go to the family homestead and it was, it was sort of like the, the, the Graceland tour of your life there? Yes. And it was a very bittersweet experience because I knew that a couple of the holes of the golf course were turning into what is now the Levi Stadium, which is the stadium that the 49ers play out of. It's gone. It's gone. It's it's turning into something. I don't know. There were fences all around. Like there was still the land. They hadn't started construction yet, but it was it was done and it was it was so so sad. It was beautiful obviously just to be able to be back, but like we couldn't even get into the parking lot. Like it was just all it was all fenced in. The and... entire course is being consumed by the stadium construction. 
I don't think it's a stadium construction. I think there's some sort of, a, you know, I, I don't know if they're expanding the Santa Clara Convention Center or whatnot. It's oh, not geez. all going into the Levi Stadium. But, yeah, it, it was gone. And I was like, oh, my God, I was only here a couple of years ago. And I remember putting on those shitty Poana greens <laughs> and... You know, just remembering, you know, first hole, par five, second hole, short par four, third hole, par four, dog leg left. And then you hop the fence, you run over and either get a Togo sandwich or something from Taco Bell, come back and then play four and five over what is what was a landfill. Six is at par three, seven's a par five, eight's par three, where I had my first two hole in ones. They were a one month apart, same hole location. One, I sculled the shit out of and the second of course one was you a did shot oh of, of course, course you did. did and the number nine dog leg left par four going back towards the clubhouse you know it was it was um it was it was it was sad but it was awesome and i was like ah oh, should we should we hop the fence like do you want to take a tour around and i was like ah you know what it's it's probably for the best. I, um, you know, last thing I want to do is have to explain to a person with law enforcement as to why and how, you know, this this tall Oregonian man and this, you know, short little Asian chick, you know, were way too old to be, you know, doing anything like trespassing on property. We're, we're conducting that. So I was like, you know, it's, it's all good. The memories are still there. So, um, you know, it's okay. It's, it's kind of ghostly when a, a golf course returns to nature, you know, in Carmel Valley, there was this 36 hole facility, Rancho Kenyatta. They, they weren't great. Rancho's gone. Oh Yeah. Yeah, it's gone. They weren't great golf courses, but it, it, there were some really pretty holes down by Carmel River, and um, they they didn't get a ton of play. And water's gotten so expensive in this area that the owners just mm-hmm. said we're just losing money, and we're just going to keep losing money. So they they've let it just go back to wilderness. Now it's it's a regional park where you can hike. And I have, to my everlasting regret, I should have gone and stood in the same place every day and taken a photo. You know, just documented the right. change. Because Carmel Valley Road goes right past, you have nice little views of the of the course, and to see, you know to see, you can still see the shapes of the greens and the bunkers, but they're getting wild, and the fairways are are uh, you know not fairways anymore, of course. And so it's I, I can I can I can picture what you're talking about. In fact, we did when I did I went to Venezuela with Jonathan Vegas um, like 2013, and he hadn't been back for years because. Um, his father was blacklisted by Hugo Chavez. It's, it's an incredible story. And we went to find the old golf course that he grew up playing. It was the same thing. It had, it had just gone native. And we were digging around in basically like rainforest. And we found some, some tea markers and like a ball washer. And we were able to kind of reconstruct the course, even though it had been, you know, 15 years since he'd seen it. And uh, it was super cool, actually. I felt like Indiana Jones. But the... Um, <laughs> The, yeah. So anyway, I, I can in my mind's eye, I can imagine what you were looking at is that that golf course had just had just been let go. But I mean, that is sad. And you, you didn't even know it when, when you when you when you rocked up. It was just like, oh, my gosh, it's gone. Well, truth be told, I did try and do a Google search or, uh, you know, on Apple Maps. And I, I, I had remembered it was like it was getting renamed or something a couple years back, this, that, whatever. And I knew that the a couple of the holes were going to be, I think it was like 13 or 14, were going to be turned into the parking lot for Levi Stadium. But I didn't, you know, and, and so it didn't really pull up on Apple Maps, but, you know, it was Santa Clara Golf and Tennis Club. And so the tennis club was still up. And I was like, oh, okay, well, 
you know, it's not like in a couple of years you're going to have, you know, like skyscrapers and high rise buildings and all of that. Like, you know, even if we just kind of walked around, I could point out a couple of spots. I get there. The tennis club is gone, too. And I was like, wow. someone needs to update Apple Maps. Um, so it was it was sad, but it was it was beautiful, you know, and it, it's it's. Um, further proof that time does go on and, you know, I'm not this 13 year old kid anymore that just goes over to the range before they even put lights up on the range was just pounding balls into the darkness. Um, every afternoon after going to school and things like that, like it, it was, it was, it was nostalgic and there was a bit of catharsis. It was it was a bit cathartic for me to to go and and you know just come to the realization of okay yeah that was then this is now and and that's okay. It's cool for Todd to get some understanding of your roots, even just seeing the the neighborhood the course is in and and the surrounds. I'm sure it gave him some some perspective. Um, that, yeah, that's I mean, that's neat that you did that. I'm thinking about your. Um, your coffee disappointment though that <laughs> I can't believe you drove, you know, an hour just for a cup of coffee. I, I respect oh, the chromatic move. is amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. If you, if you're ever in, you know, off of Lincoln in downtown San Jose, go to chromatic coffee. It is the best. It was the, it's still the, I'm still thinking about it days later <laughs> and how I'm like, man, like I'm going to have to get on social. I'm going to have to shoot them a DM. I'm going to be like, I'm sure you can find 12 ounces of them beans rolling around somewhere. Cause they also said that they were discontinuing that bean. And I almost slapped the barista in the face when they told me that I was devastated. Um, I covered it, you know, yeah, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm more of a hot chocolate guy, if truth be told. And, um, but I, I know you coffee drinkers are hardcore. So I, when I was, I was covering a Latino America tour event in Jamaica and I got, oh, my, oh. I got my dad two pounds of Jamaican blue mountain coffee. And <gasps> even the, in Jamaica, they were like 30 or $40 a pound and, um, mm-hmm. brought mm-hmm. them back. This was like five years ago. He still has some beans, like special occasion only. He'll grind up a little. I mean, he's going to be 100 years old still drinking that coffee. It is so funny. So I understand I'll the sickness. I'll shoot you my contact info. My, my, my coffee roaster locally in Orlando, which of, of all places in the world I find like comical, he's, he is still like the primo when it comes to all the coffee roasters because i mean i've been to coffee roasters in vegas san francisco um gosh we went to one in georgia uh los angeles we went to a coffee roaster in hawaii when we were there like we've been to a bunch of different places orlando coffee roasters in orlando there's they're also available online still the best coffee roaster by way of you know even when you're grinding the beans you can feel you you can they're so good he and he has Jamaica Blue Mountain, and I may or may not have bought so many um, bags of coffee off of him that he was like, "I was only get, I was, I only purchased one barrel of beans. You can have the barrel." <laughs> That's funny. Have you tried Phil's coffee? No, I'm still waiting to hear back from them because I want to try the good stuff. I want to know what that's all about. Um, that being said, I, I, I am a little uh, a little bit of a snob in that sense or a coffee snob as Todd and I have an inside joke about. I'm... I'm curious to know the origins of the this blend because I'm I'm generally a single origin girl. I love my AeroPress. Gotten into the the 
the clever dripper is, is what it's called. Todd and I call it the tricky dripper. And um, so I'd be curious to know what the origin of this blend is because, you know, your girl's got opinions and I'm not here to bash on anything. I'm just, I just want to know. Um, no, so I have away. not I'm, tried I'm it yet. No, I just want to, I just want to know because then, you know, I can go and kind of scale it back and be like, okay, if it's a combination of these three beans and, you know, their, their individual notes or this or that or whatever, like, is there like a wild card that kind of gives it this like, you know, incredible, like fascinating zing or something like that? Or is it, you know, they're, they're, because I, I, I generally like going to coffee roasters where you know that the roasters have an actual relationship with the farmers. Like I know Gus over at Orlando Coffee Roasters. He works with the individual farmers. He knows them. He has several beans from Peru, um, uh, Peru, Honduras, and maybe Guatemala that are like female owned and operated, which I think is great. And he gives me the backstories on how the, the coffee farming has uh, been able to help the overall community in the region, which is also heartbreaking considering the, you know, back-to-back storms that they had last year in November. So it's, it's, um, you know, like there's, there's that connection for me as well. It goes beyond just drinking a cup of coffee and being like, "Mm, caffeine, because I've taken a DNA test and I actually have a very high tolerance for caffeine and it has a very low effect on me. So I'm like, four cups of coffee if i'm having like just like a day like yeah all good i'm not gonna be extra zingy or anything like that have i ever told you the story about the, my first cup of coffee no <laughs> so okay my both my parents and my sister are coffee junkies to the point like they wake up in the morning if they didn't get their first cup of coffee they were so grumpy i was like you know what i don't <laughs> want this little viscous black substance to have so much control of my life and emotions. So I made a, a purposeful choice to renounce coffee and I really am a hot, hot chocolate guy. And, um, so fast forward to 1994, I'm an intern at SI and I, I 94 to, was a big year for you. That <laughs> was, I have uh, exactly, I, I gotten my first byline at the masters and they sent me and did, everyone's like, okay, this guy kind of knows what he's doing. So they sent me out to Panama City, Florida to do a story on the Nike tour, which is now the, the Corn Ferry. It's kind of the early years of the Nike tour. And um, they're trying to decide, is this going to be like where old people hang on or where young people get a chance? And they were messing with the criteria. And it was an interesting little moment. So um, it was like a huge opportunity for me as a 20-year-old aspiring sports writer. And spent all week running around and this is like pre-internet basically and i had this crappy little loner laptop that kept breaking down and so i stayed up all night working on my story this guy named keith fergus he was just like 40 mid 40s pj tour hanger on he won and anyway i'm exhausted you know the florida heat all of it and i'm so tired and haven't finished the story i'm like you know what I'm going to be a man. I'm going to strap it on, drink a cup of coffee. And I was staying in this little condo and I have the coffee maker. And so I figured it out somehow. I made, I made a cup of coffee and I drank it. And this is, I'm basically a coffee virgin. And (laughs) it hit me so hard. I was dizzy. I was queasy. I was laying on the floor. I wanted to die. Like this was supposed to help me finish the story. (laughs) It like almost killed me. And, uh, I went probably another decade before I had coffee again. And um, interestingly, it's my freaking teenage kids have gotten me into coffee. Although what they order, it's like a milkshake with some coffee in it. You know, you get to, right. you put a 
whatever the mocha frappuccino macchiato <laughs> two extra pumps of this and six pumps of that it's like uh i mean it's undeniably tasty but i i'm sure a purist like you would would want to hurl into the the coffee mug but um I've, I've started to branch out a little bit so i don't know hopefully your your opinion of me is elevated by the fact that i'm now drinking a little coffee no matter how mediocre its origin may be Hey, I would not have had my opinion of you go up or down if you told That's me all true. you did was drink whole milk. No, I don't. I don't give a shit if someone doesn't want to drink coffee. I'm like, all right, it's more for me. Shit. That's all good. Like, you know, and there are definitely people that are a lot more sensitive to caffeine than I am. So I completely understand that. Oh, I, um, yeah, I, I actually going back to what you were saying about your kids and their, uh, you know, uh, colorful Frappy thingies that they drink. I remember I saw on social media there was a picture that uh, someone at uh, who works at Starbucks posted, and it was like you know ordered a grande or tall or venti, whatever. I don't remember which sizes or what of a drink, and it was like an eight dollar cup of coffee in a frappuccino that, with all of the add-ons, ended up being thirty one dollars <laughs> and probably and ten thousand like, calories. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yes. Pure sugar, like there, nothing like six pumps of this, eight pumps of that, you know, something half blah, something, something. And I was just like, that, I, at that point, I was like, well, now you're just wasting money. Like, I'm like, I'm sure if you went to the store and bought those syrups yourself, like you can recreate pretty much anything that they can do at Starbucks. Or just get a First pint off, of starting off with like instant coffee. Uh, yeah, just, just get a pint of Ben and Jerry's at that point. So, um, all right, so let, let's go back to the, the tournament at hand at Lake Merced. Let's just, you know, the last, our last pod before this one, you you kind of had a little metaphysical breakthrough and uh, maybe just, uh, obviously you didn't shoot the scores you wanted, you missed the cut, but how did how did you handle the the um, emotions of the, of the disappointment and, and just the, the general torture of tournament golf? Well, so on Friday, I had pars, I had birdies, I had an eagle, I had bogeys, I had a double and a triple. And the triple came about because there's uh, the 16th hole at Lake Merced is a dog leg left with the wind coming at you about 10 o'clock, which is uh, 12 noon is pretty much a dead into you wind. So just off of the left with a dog leg left. And there's this massive pine tree that kind of overhangs the fairway. And I murdered my tee shot, hit it, launched it high and beautifully, and it clipped, like, I think maybe the corner of the bottom dimple on my golf ball clipped a pine cone. Aaron Hernandez, gone forever, never seen again. So I then <laughs> had to go, and I, I, had, I had hit a provisional, spent three minutes looking for the ball, still no idea. Um, there were a limited number of people that were out at the golf course. And then obviously the, st the spotter is, you know, 250, 260 out. And, and so and old had... with bad eyesight usually. <laughs> well, it was that time of day as well. Cause like we couldn't see it either. And you know, we're yeah. all young strapping people. We yeah. could, I mean, and it's, it's like one of those things where you're just like, it hit the top of the, like the very bottom of my ball hit the very top of the, the, the pine, the pine cone. So 360 degrees, it could have gone in any direction. And so, um, you know, and that was bouncing off of an Eagle. And so I was just kind of like scratching my head and I'm like, well, son of a bitch, like I hit that drive so well. 
And, That's you know, sad. I was talking to Todd after the round and I was like, you know, cause I, I've been like, and again, another thing for me mentally is if I don't get the ball to the hole, like there's there, things are, things are not in a great way, but after, you know, we worked a lot on a lot of things coming into the first round and, you know, I shot two over in the first round and, and I, I kind of looked at him. I said, Hey, I know that like the two over that I shot today is similar to the, you know, in, in terms of difficulty and in, in, in essence, there's a lot of similarities to the four over I shot after the first round last week. I'm in a much better place though. And I told myself there have been some massive improvements. There have been a lot, there's been a lot of progress. And he was like, yeah. And I'm like, you've seen that I've been unable to recognize that. So I'm going to be selfish and, and say that like the, the thing is that I see that and that is huge in and of itself. And so we were like super stoked. And then, um, you know, just everything just kind of happened. Like, you know, I had a, you know, I just a couple of, you know, and, and we're, we're, we're I'm also reworking my swing and, and, you know, Todd's helping me to just, you know, make sure that I'm, you know, staying on top of the ball and, you know, just really rotating through as opposed to just throwing my hands. And it's like, all of a sudden I'm like, okay, I'm hitting the ball a lot farther now. Uh, club. And then, um, you know, I had a double on 18 cause I, I hit my third shot through the green into this horrible patch of rough that, you know, it just stubbed. And then my fifth shot, the chip stubbed and dribbled onto the green, just missed the pipe. And I was like, you know, that was at the halfway point of my round and, you know, missed a couple of other greens, whatever. And I was like, I still feel like I can chip anything in. Like I'm able to get past where I was. So some of that trauma in and of itself was gone. And so there were so many positive. I made a couple of bombs for birdie. Like I made putts. So that was really, really exciting. And the last two holes, um, you know, I had to go three under in my last, or four under, no, sorry, two under in my last two holes, two, four under or two under in my last like six holes or something like that. And then, you know, made this, hit a beautiful shot on number six, made birdie there. Number seven, just tugged my tee shot a little bit. Ball was above my feet in the rough, plugged in the bunker. Um, and so had no chance of really getting it up and down for par, but managed to get it up and down for bogey. Um, and then number eight, you know, hit a good shot, gave myself a chance, like got the ball rolling past the hole by about a foot and a half number. And, and then even on the last hole, it was like, you know, I, I, I knew it was like, if it's not going in for my third shot, like there, there goes the entire cut, hit a good shot, you know, maybe about 12 feet or something like that. And I was like, you know, even though it quote unquote doesn't mean anything, it still means something. And then, you know, was able to hit it, you know, on the high side and pass the hole. So I was like, okay, these are still positives. Like, and, and the important thing is the fact that I can recognize that because before, you know, the last like month or so, I would have been like, oh, well, there goes another shot. There goes another chance. There goes another putt. Like, doesn't matter if you did a lot of things well, it still didn't go in. Whereas here I was like, okay, these, I hit the line I wanted. I did this that I wanted. These are good things. So I'm, I'm, I'm building momentum off of that. So, um, I see it as nothing but positives, you know? And, and that's the thing. It's, it's like, Todd's like, I, I'm not speaking on behalf of Todd, but I can, I can, I would understand if Todd's like, this is no different from what you did last week to an extent, you know, cause I still hit a lot of really good shots last week and, um, or at the U S women's open. I had, I mean, I hit a lot of shots period, but I hit a lot of really good shots and, you know, it, it was just like all of a sudden it's like my heart 
is connecting with those shots now. So even though it's because in tournament golf, so much of it, it's all the same, but that's not to say that internally things can be different. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited and I'm excited to be excited. Right. I mean, it's a long season. You're going to miss a few cuts. That's, that's okay. But it's, it's, it sounds like even in that, that context, you made progress. So that's awesome. And this always interests me. I mean, the whole mental state that, that you and every other golf pro wants to be in is one shot at a time, not looking ahead, not looking back. But when, when you gets down to the, the nitty gritty of making the cut, and like you said, okay, I need to do play the next X number of holes and X number under par. How does, how do you flip that switch where now there's a very defined target and by definition, if you're on the cut line, you're not totally in control of your game. Um, so how do you filter all that out and still try and get back to that place of just executing one shot at a time? Golf doesn't change whether you're putting for the win or whether you're four holes down, having to birdie two of them to make the cut. It, the game itself never changes. It's just what we do internally that, that can, that can change it. So for me, recognizing that fact of, okay, well, I got to get two under. It's like, how do you do that? You hit good shots. And you let go of what has been because again, the future's never written. You get to create the artistry that is your score on a hole of golf. So just go ahead, give it your all, do everything that you can and let the chips fall where they may. So there shouldn't be anything different to how you approach it. It's just a matter of where your brain is at so that you can make those adjustments. Yeah. I relate to that, you know, I coaching high school girls basketball, we had, we had our playoff game on Tuesday night and how'd we do? It was one of the greatest sporting events I've ever been to, including my day job. We lost by a heartbreaker at the buzzer, lost by one, but it was just high school sports at its absolute finest. I mean, both teams just played their hearts out and I was so proud of our girls. Um, and my daughter, Abby played great. It was just, it was so much fun, but um, I've, we've now been through like various playoffs and other big games. I, I give the same speech every year. It's like, because everyone's tight, you know, you feel the emotion and um, for these girls, some of them haven't, you know, they've been cut off from sports because of COVID. So it's been a while. There's a lot of butterflies and nervous energy. And it's just like, you know how you win like a really important, big basketball game. It's like jump stops, pass fakes, blockouts like just do the simplest things just the building blocks of the fundamentals and you know everyone feels like i have to go out and play the best game of my life for us to have a chance not even close to that i mean you just have to just play basketball the way you know how and not, not get in your own way so i mean of course mm-hmm. it's an, it's analogous to golf and i try and impart life that. as well <laughs> yeah life as well exactly try try to impart that to you know these, these young athletes who haven't you know, read all the books and listened to all the podcasts, like, like maybe some of the rest of us. So, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's such a simple message, but that, that's, that's the challenge is, is to actually do it and when it really matters and people are screaming and there's, there's, you know, it feels like there's a lot at stake and we actually did a pretty good job of that as, as a team. And it sounds like you did a pretty good job of that as a, on your own. So it's, it's definitely some lessons there. I think. Are you calling me a high school girl? <laughs> Well, your fashion sense, your taste in music, your vocabulary. <laughs> I mean, <I'm>, like. <laughs> I, think, I, I think you're young at heart. Let's put it that way. 
Well, I, I was talking to Todd about this. I used because I, I was doing one of those stupid BuzzFeed quizzes, like just you know, just like farting around or whatever. And it was like, you know, if you if if the Scholastic Book Fair was like the event of the year when you were in elementary school, you probably have anxiety now. And so I was like, <laughs> this is a very this is potentially very problematic. Let's see what this is all about. And it was one of those like tick all of the things that happened uh, to you or that apply to you or whatever. And it was like. You know, did you call your friends before you tried on a new outfit so that, you know, they can, you know, be there to support you or this or that or whatever. And I was, you know, just all these silly things. And one of them um, obviously was if the Scholastic, was the Scholastic Book Fair the event of the school year for you? And one of them was uh, people always used to call, but people always called you an old soul. And I was like, oh, I was thinking about it. I was like, yeah, I remember everyone when I was growing up, everyone called me an old soul. And now, you know, it's like everyone's like, you're just a kid at heart. And I'm like, yeah, I guess I'm Benjamin, Benjamin buttoning things, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just kind of it's just sort of a, a funny way in which we all, you know, metamorphosis and transform and all of that. That's cool. I love that. Um, so let's see what else is happening in our, in our world. So I'm heading down. To, What's happening in your world? Yes, I'm heading down to Torrey Pines for... U.S. Open, and it, it's a huge week for the Fire Pit Collective because, you know, our offices mm-hmm. are in Oceanside, just a little north of San Diego, and um, we just announced another hire, this kid, Colt Nedler, and he's really talented. No Video- shit. <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he's a super talented videographer and has a lot of great ideas for doing his own storytelling. He can also help us with editing and podcast tech technician and so he's a great mix of um, being doing, you know, creating content, but also helping on the back end to supporting support what everyone else is doing. So that's huge. And he's he's a Southern California guy. Basically, uh, the whole crew is in Southern California, except for myself up, up in NorCal, and then um, Ryan French, who's in Chicago. But Ryan's mm-hmm. flying in. I'm uh, just so we, we can all hang out. We're gonna do some all day meetings and dinners and lunches and, and bonding on Tuesday, and then. Wednesday, uh, we've kind of redone our office space, which is right above the Link Soul Lab in, in Oceanside, uh, which is kind of the headquarters of Link Soul. And John Ashworth is a friend and kind of patriarch for, for all of us. And um, so we took over these offices, and they look really cool the way we've done it. So we're going to have a little open house there. People can come by for lunch. And then we're going to go to Goat Hill, which I know you love. And I think we've got eight fivesomes or something like that. And we're just going to play golf oh my with gosh. various folks. And then, then we're the fire pit at at Goat Hill is sort of the 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 metaphor that animates the whole company. So then we're just gonna sit around the fire pit. We got the pizza and and beer, and there's gonna be some music. And so Tuesday and Wednesday are gonna be phenomenal. Um, I'm gonna try and sneak in a little time at Tory Pines for my theoretically my day <laughs> job, but uh, it's there's a lot going on. It's gonna be such a fun week. And you know, we as a, as a young company, we we still all need that time together, and to, we have an incredible number of zooms and group emails and text threads and run this new thing called asana which is uh, kind of like a highbrow version of slack and um, so the, the communication is endless but just to be in the same place at the same time and actually hang out it's gonna be killer and uh, and then there's you know the national championship which i'm looking forward to as well so uh, it's gonna be a big one obviously with phil's hometown he rolls in as the reigning pga champion and uh, there's gonna be a lot of focus on on him of course but there's it's, I mean, I can't think of right now the majors are so wide open. You know, you go into these tournaments, there's, there's not a clear favorite. I mean, 
you know, depending on how Dustin finishes things off at, at Congaree, he he could be the favorite. But even then, it's pretty tenuous. I mean, the guy's been in a slump for three months. So, um, you know, it's uh, it's a, a interesting time in golf. There's so much parity where uh, you can you can talk yourself into about ten different favorites at every, at every tournament. So uh, I'm looking forward to this one for sure. That is awesome. Yeah. And then, oh, and by the way, I mean, if we have any Southern California listeners on Saturday, which is the third round of, of the U.S. Open, um, there's this, this great little um, boutique brewery called Dogleg Brewing Company. And they're sort of that Oceanside area. We're hosting a, a watch party on, on Saturday from, from basically 12 to 6, end of the telecast. And then... Uh, Janelle and I are going to do a little Q and A, and just uh, I'll, I'll be coming in hot from Torrey Pines and just talking about everything that's going on out there. So that's open. Everybody can just come and hang out and watch golf amongst fellow golfers. And so it's an intensely social week. I mean, the thing, um, you know, it, it's it's going to be different. It, the majors generally I'm just so focused on my stories. I might sneak off and have you know a meal or two with Bamberger, but. Um, it's a solid, you know, being a writer is a solitary life. So this is going to be intensely social, which of course I'm looking forward to. And I'm just hoping I'm, I can make it through Sunday night because it's, it's going to be a high burn rate kind of week, but uh, it should be great fun. That is awesome, Alan. I'm so excited <laughs> for you. Yeah. That's a lot I, to have to, I mean, the, well, I mean, like, would, would you be able to tell both myself as well as the listeners, like, how would you know, obviously this is in, in foresight, like how would you compare what this week is supposed to entail versus what a normal US Open week is like for you, like in yeah. in, in years past, you know? I mean the open is is such a grind, right? It's they're playing from from dawn to dusk on Thursday and Friday and um and they're even really stretching it out with trying to get, you know, East Coast prime time so that uh, it's just it's just a marathon and uh, everyone's in a bad mood, you know, at the U.S. Open. The players, of course, because they're getting their teeth kicked in. But for the reporters, it's the logistics are always challenging, and um, and it's, it's not an easy work week. And the fans are having fun, but everyone else on site's grumpy. And um, that, that's <laughs> that's kind of part of the, the fun of the week, honestly. Is it's, just, it's a grind for everyone. Um, so, I mean, generally. Tuesday and Wednesday, I try to walk the course a good amount, just get a feel for how it's playing, try to talk to as, as many people as I can. And Monday, for that matter, if I'm, you know, I usually come on site Monday afternoon or something. And, um, you know, you're, it's fun because the, the, ma the majors are where the golf world gathers. And so uh, obviously all the best players are there, but all their agents are there, all the families there, the swing coaches, like there's just great schmoozing. And if you hang out on the driving range or the putting green, you're going to bump into a lot of people. And, you know, journalism is to some degree, uh, a job of relationships and, uh, certainly information is the coin of the realm. So the more people you can talk to and, you know, who, whose back is stiff, who got in a fight with their wife, who's on their fourth putter of the week, uh, you know, you just, you just glean information as you go. And, um, I'll have, I'll have a game plan, you know, kind of what I want to write on Thursday, um, which will usually get formulated in the days before. And after that, you're kind of just reacting to events. Um, you know, like Masters Week, uh, I did this just, it was actually a pretty short story, but it was about Angel Cabrera, you know, sitting in jail in in, right. in, uh, in Rio, waiting to get extradited and missing the, the champion's dinner. And 
you know, that got over a million page views. It was just uh, people hadn't really focused on the fact that he was still in the clink and he was he was missing the the most exclusive gathering of the year in golf. And so, um, but that you know, I've been thinking about coming into the week. What are what are some potential storylines? So that sometimes you get lucky like that. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of it is is just is just reacting to the leaderboard and what's happening out there. How the, if there's you know, course controversies, which is almost inevitable. U.S. Open. Um, you know, Thursday, everyone's probably going to write Phil. Um, it's hard. It's hard to get away from that. He's kind of the story until he's not the story. But uh, I'm I'm dropping in my my preview story. It's about Phil's kind of tangled relationship with Tory Pines, and uh, that'll mm-hmm. that'll go live before the tournament actually begins. So I'll kind of wade in on Phil to some degree. So generally, if a lot of reporters are chasing one story, I want to do something different. That's always kind absolutely. Of my, yeah, it's been my mo. So I don't know. I have, I have to give it a little more thought, and of course. Uh, you know the the fact that collective we have this this content sharing deal with Discovery TV, which owns Golf Digest, and so for the majors, I'm, I'm actually writing for GolfDigest.com, which is fun. It's a cool group of people there, and like the guy who runs the website, Sam Wyman and I, we came up together in the '90s. Sam, and, uh, yeah, you know Sam, he's he's a, he's a sweet guy, and but we were always on opposing teams, and so it's kind of fun to collaborate for the first time ever. So. Obviously, he'll have some thoughts. His lieutenant uh, Ryan Harrington will have some thoughts, and uh, so it, it's collaborative, which I enjoy. And then we've got the other writers there, um, you know, Joel Beal and Todd Leonard and whomever. So uh, we kind of have to put our heads together as we go. But th- that's kind of the fun: is you wake up on Friday or Saturday, and you have no idea what, what your workday is going to look like. It just depends on on who's doing what and how quickly you can react and put the stories together. So. Uh, and then, of course, you know, Sunday, I pretty much always write the game story. And that, that's that's its own kind of challenge. Like even, you know, at the U.S. Women's Open and Olympic a couple of weeks ago, when Lexi got off to that super hot start, she's leading by five. I started writing, you know, this uh, basically celebration of Lexi Thompson. And it was total hagiography. Lexi's the greatest thing since sliced bread and all that. And about an hour later, I was tearing up and rewriting. And. And, uh, but she made that part 18. She still could have won the playoff. And like, so the ebbs and flows of, of your, your work day could be maddening. I've, I've had a, that's happened to me many times where you think, you think a story is, is going to go one way and you're going to, you know, stroll out of the press room in time for a nice civilized dinner. And then everything goes pear shaped and you, you're up super late and it's mega deadline pressure. But uh, I, that used to stress me out. Now I enjoy it. It's kind of, it makes you feel alive when you're like, oh my God, I have to write 2,000 words in the next three hours. And uh, so I'm happy if, 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 if you guess right and you have, you have an easier kind of evening. But um, if not, it's just, it's just fun to roll with it. That's awesome. So, I yeah, love yeah. hearing that kind of insight. <laughs> well, I have a little bit of insight after all these years. So we <laughs> promised the listeners and the followers that we were going to answer some questions. I, I think we should we should plunge in. Are are you uh, are you feeling frisky like that? I do. I, I am. I I actually do have a couple of questions pulled up already, which uh, I w- I received a number of questions, but I, I I think I would like to focus on a couple of them. So to yeah. some of the folks that did send some out, I'm sorry, we didn't get to them this time. Um, some of the questions are maybe a little bit more pointed toward me. And so I would like to ask questions that I think we could both answer personally. Yeah, sure. um, so do you want to start off or do you want me to start off? Well, okay, here, here's a fun one. This is from 
Forearm Shivers. That's their Twitter handle. It's this um, this person has been a longtime follower. They're they're always good fun. So it says, Alan, I assume that you and Christina Kim will play a round one day. How many shots will she have to spot you for you to even have a chance? <laughs> and I mean, we have we have teamed up together. Me, you, we and, have. Um, and the BF we played at Monterey Peninsula Country Club. Played a short course. And, is that the only time? I can't remember if we we done a, another. I do believe that was the only that time you and I have actually teed up. Yeah. We've, we're both but, always working, you know. I know. Um, so let's say yeah, for the it, sake of, let's say it's like a 6,400-yard course, which, you know, is a comfortable length. That's, I pretty much, I rarely play the tips unless people want to. Like, I'm happy at 64, 65. And th- that's kind of pretty close to what an LPGA venue would be, right? Kind that's of, a little ooh. on the shorter side, but yes. Yeah. All right. So whatever. 55. We're playing the same tees is the bottom line. Yeah. So... This is how I do the math. If you play really well, you're going to shoot 67. If I play really well, I'm going to shoot 80. And if you play bullshit. bad. Oh, my God. Bullshit. So really crap. Well? Hold on. First of all, what is your index at the moment? It, it's gone up by like two. I'm, I think I'm like at 8.2. I've been playing terrible. Okay. If you're an 8.2 as your index, then yeah. you quote unquote playing really well is you playing to your index? Yeah. Bullshit. So, no, I mean, the, the average golfer only betters their index like once out of every five rounds. So that's what I'm okay, saying. So that's betters then. That's not plays really well. Come on. I, if I play really well, okay, if I play really well, I'll shoot 79. You play really well, you're going to shoot 67. So, right, that's a 12 shot spread. If you play crap, you're going to shoot 75. And I can shoot 90. That's a 15 shot spread. So, <laughs> well, I, so somewhere in there, I think you, you have to give me, say, 13 strokes. That's, that's the math well, I'm going by. Okay. I am going to tell you, and I, I joke about this all the time, and there's only um, a small amount of actual humor to it because there is legitimately a decent amount of validity i joke that if i'm not in a tournament round i'm a six handicapper and if we go based off of my uh my scores the last couple of weeks i am a six handicapper so i um you know there's just something different no 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 i i'm just saying that there is a very big difference between when i'm playing in a tournament round versus when i'm just kind of swinging around like i I uh, will oftentimes use my more casual rounds as more of a means to work on things by way of my, my, my swing, my stroke, all of that stuff. Um, that being said, in the last year or so, I did shoot nine under in a casual round with my friends. So at my home course in Florida over at Orange Tree Golf Club. So if you want 12, 13 strokes, I, I, I'm, I'm okay with that. It's just I have no anticipation of um, you know, winning any money because it's not a tournament round. So if you want to, like, if, if, if that's the case, you know, I play to a six and then you all of a sudden play to your index, then that's all good. Like that's going to be me losing out a lot. And I don't mind. I'm more about the enjoyment of the round. Christina, it's not that I want the strokes. It's just what's equitable. It's just what's fair. (laughs) I mean, that's all that, that's all there is to it. All right. So we'll say that, Okay, adjusting for the, your apathy and the fact that you, you can't get even the slice bit motivated to beat me. Well, maybe we'll say 10 and we'll see how it goes. But, let's go 12. Uh, I'm good going 12. I'm good uh, going uh, now, 12. Now you're mocking me. Because now right, so, I'm thinking, okay, I better beat his ass for sure then. <laughs> we're, gonna, we're absolutely going to 
we're gonna make this happen soon. We're gonna be mic'd up. We might have a camera crew out there. Like we're gonna go, we're gonna blow this out. This is happening. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's right. do it. Okay. All right. You pick. You pick a question. So, all right. This is a question that came to me by way of my Instagram story. I put up one of those little stickers saying, "Do you have any questions for Alan and I for an upcoming episode of the of Full Send?" So I have, and and so this is. Do you want me to just ask one, or it was actually the same. Um, uh, same person on Instagram asked me two questions. I think that they're both very good. So yeah. the first, the first question um, at Kenny Strode on Instagram asked, "How many wins did Lorena Ochoa leave on the table by retiring so young?" Mm, yeah, well, a lot. I mean, but the the fact is, near the end, her heart wasn't in it. You know, she always had this vision, as you know better than anybody, Christina. She wanted to be a mom, and she wanted to work on her foundation, and. So if she had had the mentality, if she just wanted to win as many tournaments as possible, she could have played 10 more years. She could have won 40 more tournaments easily, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, as good as she was, but that wasn't how she was wired. And so I think her answer would be zero. She left when what she felt was the right time. But what, what is your take on that? Well, again, like you had said, there's a lot of there were a lot of factors involved with when she did choose to step away from playing. Um, the fact that she was, by virtue of every qualification to get into the LPGA Tours Hall of Fame, she got through it faster than anybody else in the history of the LPGA, with the exception of you had to play on tour for a minimum of ten years, which blows my mind so yes she's in the world golf hall of fame she is not in the lpga tours hall of fame even though she is to an extent more qualified than so many other people that you know because she was able to, to to get those was it 27 points in like seven and a half or eight years or something like that so that is a testament to the competitor that she is and like you had said she really wanted to focus on family she wanted to get married be a mom focus on her foundation. And I don't know how many people know that from her rookie year on tour, every dollar that she made on the golf course immediately went towards her foundation. Um, every single dollar that she made by way of purses went straight to the foundation, which is just remarkable. Um, and again, like I always say, I always joke that like 150 years from now, Lorena Ochoa is going to be canonized um, because she's one of the greatest human beings on earth, let alone one of the most fierce competitors I've ever, um, I've ever dealt with and was lucky enough to call a, a great friend um, while we were out on tour. So, I mean, the possibilities really are endless. And at the same time, you were right in that she left, she left on her own terms she was ready. She wasn't injured. She wasn't tired um, in the sense of, you know, like she wasn't trying to just hang on or anything like that. She was she was she was done. And it's similar to like when I, you know, when I you, you just know when you're done, you're done. And that's OK. You know, she was able to hang up her boots and know that she gave everything that she had. Similar to, you know, like Suzanne Pedersen, when she decided after um, winning the Solheim Cup in 2019, she was just like, oh, I'm, I'm done. Like, that's that's it. You know, and, and it's just so incredible. Um, so do you want me to ask another question or do you yeah, go want to hop into one? Uh, so the same Instagram user at Kenny Strode asked, do you think the new commissioner will continue to grow the LPGA as Mike did? Well, you take that one. Cause you, at this point, you know a lot more about the new commissioner than I do. 
Um, so I'm no longer on the board of directors and I do not have a lot of information about our new commissioner. We are going to have a virtual player meeting where she will be introduced. Um, so Molly Marcosaman, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, is, you know, she, she is, very, very impressive by way of what I've I've read about her. And I legitimately don't know very much about her. That being said, I know that Mike would only ever want the LPGA tour left. Um, you know, as he would say, you know, this is this is not a sprint in the sense of one person doing everything and then we glorify them and reap all the benefits. This is more of a rally. And he's like, I took one leg and I want to make sure that the next commissioner um, in Mali is going to be able to beat my pace at the very, or match my pace at the very least and hopefully beat it. So I'm very excited. She has an extremely impressive resume. Um, wonderfully educated, uh, is a mother and, you know, I'm, I'm super stoked. I, I don't know what her, what her personal mission statement is for the LPGA. I don't know what her plans are, what her goals are. Um, but she's, she's still very young and I'm excited. I'm sad, obviously, but I'm excited. Yeah. It's a tough job to take because we can all agree Mike Wan is a dynamic person. He made a lot of great decisions and he he helped drive the growth of the tour. But he also took over when the LPG was at absolute rock bottom. I mean, the financial crisis, mm-hmm. the previous commissioner, you know, the schedule had, had contracted wildly. The prize money was down. I mean, the, the tour was teetering on the edge of disaster. And that's, you know, that's, it's like, that's a great time to come in as commissioner because you can, you can really change things around. People are open-minded and there's only one way to go, but up and, um, you know, and to Juan's credit, he made all the right moves and he, he was super dynamic guy. And I'm a big fan as I know you are. So all praise to Mike Juan, but, um, you know, he's now the tour's going gangbusters. So you, you come in and it's going to be a lot harder to, to have that that year over year growth. Not that that's really the new commissioner's mandate necessarily, but uh, it's, it's not an easy position to step into. So, but uh, obviously we're all rooting for her and, um, you know, hope, hope the tour just keeps taking off like, like the rocket ship it has the last few years. This here's a funny one, Christina, this is from, um, uh, Craig underscore V with two E's. Um, he says, when you go to a tournament, how many different outfits do you typically take along? And how many golf balls do you pack for the week? <laughs> I, I love the specificity. Let's hear it. Well, so by way of outfits, um, the uh, my, my clothing sponsor for my tops, Oahu Golf Apparel, they send me a ton of clothes you know, every few months. So I generally, depending, part of it depends on the length of the stretch that I'm going on. Like this is going to be a six-week stretch. So I've got, I don't know, 12 or 15 tops. I have, you know, nine or 10 skirts. I have half a dozen pairs of um, pants. Uh, I've got like, you know, about 10 uh, long sleeve undershirts from Sparms that are, um, you know, sun protection as well as cooling and on all of that. And Golf balls. So Titleist is gracious enough to provide players on tour with 
oh god i think it's been changed from three to four dozen balls a week which is way too many and um four gloves a week one for each competitive round and you know i squirrel them away like a you know a a squirrel getting ready for the winter where I, i sit there and i'm just like hanging on to all my freshies and um i like to start a tournament round with a with a brand new glove so i'll use the ones i use during the tournament rounds for my practice rounds for practice sessions um i'll give away you know i'll sign and give away gloves and all of that and yeah it's just more of a you know you kind of feel it out because like say on this trip we're preparing for anything from like we're here in daily city where you know the low lows including the wind chill can be anywhere from like 40 degrees all the way up to uh, say, uh where we were in las vegas just a couple of weeks ago where it was peaking over 100 so you sit there and you're just like god that's a lot of clothes to have to pack for a lot of different climates and weather uh so for me you know like the the first week i was wearing pants the first week here in daily city i was wearing pants every day and then this week i was like no you know what oh, pants i don't like pant legs <laughs> i i like having that freedom to just kind of walk about and and not feel any constriction or anything like that because i got some you know i got some my calves are pretty strong and so <laughs> i um also pack earmuffs and as long as my ears are warm i'm pretty much set so i was i was traipsing about in a skirt and had my long sleeve top you know again it's a cooling top which makes no sense but sun protection and my oahu golf apparel top on top i i have my rain jacket um which is it's an awesome jacket from abacus it's it's part of their 37.5 um what would you call um line uh yes their 37.5 line where it has this incredible technology where that it's completely waterproof and internally the material will always keep your body set at 37.5 degrees Celsius, which is basically, uh, you know, body temperature, not your internal body, but you know, the surface of your skin, that's where it's at. So when it's cold, you stay warm. When it's warm, you stay cool. You just are like at a perfect temperature. Um, and, and I will bring like for, for no ungodly reason whatsoever, I'll bring like 20 pairs of socks, like that, that, that's, that's a thing for me. Like I just, I love, I, I, I have way too many socks. Like that just makes no sense to me. Do you go on a six week road trip? How many times do you hit, hit a laundromat? Is it weekly? Yeah, at least six times. Wow. At least. Yeah. I'm at least once a week. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of bullshit because I'll sit there and be like, you know what? I wear the same like seven tops and seven, maybe eight pairs of bottoms you know in case there's like a cool day or something like that i'm like why do i bring twice as much it's as if i'm like at any given point the world is going to end and i need to like hit the road because the power grid was shut down because the russians hacked us and this and that and now i've got to find a way to survive but want to look cute (laughs) how many suitcases do you travel with i have my golf bag and two suitcases that i travel with yeah and I have a lot of toiletries, and I have way too much coffee gear. <laughs> yeah, golfers in general don't travel light. When I was down on the Latino America tour, and we got on this plane, we started in um, Jamaica and had to get to Costa Rica. It's not easy to do. I mean, God, um, no. No, it's not. And they're kind of mid sized planes, if that. And it's all the golfers, of course, are more or less on the same flights. And they'd call it golf bag roulette because they load everything up. And then it would be overweight and they start pulling bags off and guys are have their face pressed to the window to see if their clubs are going to get tossed off or their Mm -hmm. suitcase. And you could feel the anxiety because, you know, it could be two more days till you get them back the way those, those flights ran. And then you're missing obviously valuable practice time and 
but like everyone was bumped, every bag weighed 49 and a half pounds, like just bumping <laughs> up against the limit. Like these, yeah, these guys rolled deep. So I get it. Um, all right. You have any other questions you like there? Yes, I do have one more question. Um, this is for both of us. This is from at Dennis Breen on Instagram. Are you considering writing a follow-up book? The last one was a great read. Mm, that's cute. I thought that was sweet. Yeah. Um, Legit, no pressure, well, by the way, because I have my own answer. <laughs> I mean, in this this podcast, it, it's either a great precursor to a book or it's completely made a book obsolete because you're I mean, you're living your life out loud here and you're presumably um, everyone knows what's going on. So I would say right now it's, it's not under deep discussion, but um, who knows? I mean, if, and when you, you win the uh, U S women's open or something like that, we can revisit the topic for sure. Yeah. I've been posed this question a number of times and my answer is always the same where I sit there and I say everything that not everything, obviously, I do still have some personal parts of me that I, I just don't necessarily always share. My life is put up on social media. Like, I don't feel the need to write a new book. I can't really, oh, I mean, I still have countless other stories that I could share. But for the most part, a lot of what has already happened in my life is put up on my social media. So I sit there and I'm like, yeah, this way you save, you know, 1995 or 1495 of paperback. <laughs> and this yeah. way, you know, you can kind of keep a, an ongoing rolling account of what's going on in my life. So like you said, you know, if I were to go and win the grand slam of women's golf in a single year, maybe we'll, <laughs> maybe we'll revisit yeah. that. But you know, at the moment I'm good with where we at now. I mean, it's such an interesting thing because when you, uh, I was just reading this review of this new biography of Philip Roth, the novelist, who's one of my heroes, and he was a very private guy. And the way the biographers, you know, he consented to some interviews, but they're pouring through all his old letters and correspondence and, and stuff, archival material. And it's like they're detectives, right? They're trying to piece together the details of, of this guy's life. And any, you know, contemporary, um, famous person in, in any field, as you say, so much of it is already out there, um, not from their own feeds and just the, the 24 seven news cycle. And, um, it's definitely going to, I think, change the way now a, bi a biography is more about curation. There, there's so much out there. You have to sift through it and, uh, mm -hmm. instead of go find it. So anyway, it's, yeah, social media has changed so much. I think including how people's, the story of people's lives and how they're going to be told. But um, we digress. Um, let's see. I'm, I'm, do you have Do you have any other questions you like? I'm scrolling through what I have here. There's... Let me take a quick peek. A lot of, I mean, and I said this, and I know I said this in like my our previous podcasts, and I've said this on my social medias. It's like you know, and no offense to anybody that you know has asked these questions, but it's like, when did you start golfing and why? I'm like, this is this is one of those questions that. You can look up almost anywhere and be able to get the answer, <laughs> yeah. you know, or, you know, how is prize money paid to you? I'm like, direct deposit next, you know, like, you know, can you give me a drill for how to keep my head down? And it's like, th this is not that I will answer that in another way, but this is not that. Yeah. So, um, 
Todd McFall asks, what would Christina shoot at a typical Muni course? It kind of dovetails what we were talking about earlier, but I, I wrote a story for the NCJ magazine like years and years ago and chose this local um, country club, which it's, you know, 6,800 yards and it has, it has the, the green skin roll really fast in the summer when it's dried out. And, you know, the average golfer thinks it's a good test. I said, if, if the PJ Tour rocked up tomorrow and just played the course as it is right now, there would be multiple 59s across four rounds. The winning score would certainly be minus 30 something. It could go lower than that. Like you, you could, you could get my, you could be like minus 38 could win this. And everyone, everyone at this club and elsewhere was all offended. I said, you guys have no idea how good these players are. And when you put 150 of them out there, a couple are going to have career weeks and they are going to destroy your golf course. And it's no, don't take it personally. That's the, tr that's true of every course, but about 10 on the planet. And, um, especially a Muni, which, you know, even presumably a little flatter and more forgiving, like. The average fan has no concept, um, and that applies that applies in the LPGA as well. I mean, we've seen a lot of winning scores at twenty under here in the last couple of years, and um, but I, I mean, let's say you were highly motivated and and you 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 went to just um, I don't know, pick a muni in, in the San Jose area. I'd want to go back to Palo Alto Muni. I spent okay. so many summers over there rolling out of the car while it's still moving before the sun came up and then having to be dragged kicking and screaming once it's gone dark to get back in the car and go home. Uh, I mean, well, and, and I will say though, you know, I mean, you're, you're talking about, you know, it's a, it's a local course, but it's still a country club. When you're talking about munis, you know, you're, you're talking about courses that may not be in, you know, the, the tour caliber shapes. So you're talking oh, about yeah, greens that are probably going to be bumpy. Greens might be a, a bit inconsistent. They might be a little firmer, a little softer. They might, you know, roll a little faster on some, roll, you know, slow as, you know, a long, painful death as others. It's um, true. Yeah, I mean, I would think, you know, at a Muni, I could, I, I could probably post up, you know, like if I'm motivated, I could probably post up a 65. That requires, that, that the motivation is the much bigger task than me shooting 65 yeah. <laughs> yeah well if you shoot the course record we'll give you a million dollars you know like you're, you're going to be motivated let's say but um yeah and that that's that seems like a very safe bet it, and you know i just it just makes me laugh that the the average fan even with all the evidence they still don't know how good the the typical tour player is on any tour. It's, it's just something that's, so, it's hard to grasp though. If it's something that you can't do, you know, like I understand yeah. it. Like, you know, it's like when, when I watch the giants play, like I sit there and I'm like, how in the shit does he throw it? 98 miles an hour over and over and over. And yeah. it goes into the catcher's mitt. I'm just like, I throw it and I'm like, Oh, it's not in my hands anymore. Success. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, you can marvel at it, but it's it's sometimes hard to just grasp it all uh, altogether. There was, there was an old time SI editor who played a casual round with Jack Nicholas, and um, I can't remember which course it was, but but Jack had a house on the golf course, and Jack starts out. It's like birdie, birdie, eagle, birdie, eagle, eagle, birdie. He's like like ten under through seven. They get to his house. Like, let's go and have some sandwiches. <laughs> like. <laughs> He was completely not into it. Like he could do this any day of the week. And, you know, this guy was just like, it just blew his mind. It, uh, it was a total non-event in the life of Jack Nicholas to just go absolutely crazy like that. And um, so anyway, 
I, I've always remembered that. I'm, I'm probably getting the details slightly wrong, but it, he went, it was like crazy low in, in mm. a compressed period of time. And it didn't even, it didn't even engage him on any level. He was just wanting to have some lunch. So, but anyway, um, well, this is, this has been a, this has been a good chat. We touched on a lot of things that I, I, I'm still laughing that you're the first person who's ever waxed, you know, nostalgic about the Guadalupe Parkway, but, um, you know, <laughs> I know it, Hey, I grew up just off of it. So it was, it was so amazing to be back and then, you know, seeing all the same exit signs. And I was telling Todd, I was like, dude, I am, and not in like, I'm not like bashing myself, I'm, but you know, it's more time has passed so much. I, I just joke. I was like, I am so old. I remember when these exits didn't have numbers. Like it's, <laughs> it's crazy. I remember the first time I saw a highway that had numbered exits and I was like, this is genius. Why are we not doing this everywhere in California? <laughs> I know, yeah. It's a valid point. Uh, well, all right. I, I hope you, you find some good coffee and some continued peace of mind as, as the week continues. Uh, I will be having a lot of fun uh, in San Diego, and next week we will report back on all of it. Um, but until then, I think that's a wrap. You want to take us away here, Christina? For sure. Yeah. Thank you very much for that talk, Alan. It was great to hear, um, you know, what a, what a week in the life of a highly acclaimed, esteemed journalist going to a major championship generally entails versus what you're going to be facing next week. I, I, I pray that you're able to get some sleep. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I, I'm, I'm so stoked for you. I'm stoked for everyone at the Fire Pit Collective. I'm so excited. You guys are all going to be able to meet. I, you know, if you want to give me a FaceTime call so I can meet everybody as well. I know I'm not technically, you know, on staff or a partner, but I, I am part of the family. Oh, I just get to be the, the black sheep. Um, <laughs> but even. to everyone that's listening, I, I, I would love to say, you know, just make sure you go to you know, the iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you go and get your podcast, rate this podcast because it helps metrics. Apparently, I don't even know what those words mean. Um, leave us a review if you have any comments, questions, suggestions. Yes, I think Alan is going to be on his way to getting a different microphone. So hopefully we will have nothing but the best audio. Although side note, I love when I come across a podcast and you can see the evolution of technology within that podcast. Like you, you feel like you're growing with them. Um, but again, you know, make sure you subscribe to our podcast, rate it, review it, tell all your your friends and until then i guess we will just have to wait till the next episode of full send with christina kim and alan shipnuck that's a wrap bye <laughs> bye <laughs>